Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. My guest today is Alex McRobert. She's the host of the Sober Yoga Girl podcast. She's an international yoga teacher, a life and sobriety coach. And today we're going to talk about breaking up with booze, both how Alex broke up with booze and how she helps people in her community stop drinking and live happier and healthier lives without alcohol. I reached out to Alex because I thought she was super interesting online and I love her podcast. And when we first talked, she was living in Abu Dhabi. Now I'm interviewing her at 6am in Bali. So really excited to talk to you. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, the past few months feels like a whirlwind because I think I only first met you two months ago. And uh, since then, I made a decision to pack up and move across the world. <laughs> so it's pretty wild, but super, super nice to be chatting with you this morning. Yeah. Well, I love following your Instagram because, you know, I am married with two kids in Redmond, Washington, right outside of Seattle. So seeing you move from Abu Dhabi 
to Bali and all your adventures and the gorgeous scenery. I'm just living vicariously through your Instagram page and your videos. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, so tell us about you. Yeah. So I am originally Canadian. I was born and raised in Toronto and I went to do my undergrad in teaching. So I did a Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Education concurrently. And during my time at university, I really struggled with my mental health and my partying. And it was a pretty normal thing in Toronto where I was raised to drink alcohol at, you know, every occasion, celebrating um, sadness, um, pretty much anything alcohol was involved. And so I didn't think my drinking was abnormal because it seemed to you know, match my peers, but I was really, really struggling with my mood and my mental health from age, probably, I mean, even as young as age 15, 16, I was really struggling, but especially around age 18 or 19. And so I ended up meeting a a counselor or therapist who recommended that I try yoga as a coping mechanism. And that kind of set me on this journey. It was like an innate thing within me that I wanted to be a yoga teacher but I, you know, followed the path that was sort of a bit expected of me, but a bit not. And I became a teacher, but I moved to the Middle East. And so I was teaching in the Middle East for a long time, for six years, was also teaching yoga on the side and was drinking really heavily, partying, traveling around. And it was in 2019 that I finally decided to take, you know, a month off of drinking and, you know, that month has turned into two and a half years and now I'm here. So. Yeah. And it sounds like you've transformed your whole life, right? It was your dream to be a full-time yoga teacher living in Mm -hmm. Bali. And now that's what you're doing. And it's honestly, I sometimes cannot believe that this is literally my life (laughs) because it has been a dream of mine. So since I was really, really young, it was my dream to teach yoga full time. Um, but since I came to Bali for the first time in 2017, I was like, this is the place I want to live. This is it. And it just seemed so far-fetched and so unattainable, right? Because it's like, how does one quit their job and start a business and start doing what they love and move to, you know, this random island on the other side of the world. Like it just seems so impossible. And it's pretty amazing how what sobriety has shown me is that anything is possible when you have a plan and you're committed to seeing it through. And then you just kind of let it go. It's anything is is possible if you, I mean, having that sober mindset really is a huge part of it. Yeah. You've got sort of the energy and the clarity and sort of the belief in yourself to follow through on your dreams. And I know when I was drinking, I just would say I was going to do things and never follow through with them and just feel really stuck and trapped and, you know, negative about different things in my life. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I accomplished my first year sober is that I wrote a memoir, which I'm still in the process of, or maybe that was my second, I think that was my second year sober, but I'm in the process of trying to get publishers for. And that book, I actually realized midway through writing it, I had this like 
yoga nidra class where I was relaxing and being guided through these visualizations. And all of a sudden these words started popping out in my head. And I was like, I think I actually started writing this book years ago and I was able to find it on my Google drive. And so I had actually started writing the same book, maybe four years ago, you know, starting at the same point, telling the same journey. And because I was drinking, I had obviously just kind of lost motivation and not followed through with it. And yeah, following through, that's a huge, huge aspect of sobriety. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so tell us about why you finally decided that you needed to break up with booze and what that was like. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, so for myself, I hit a point in 2019 where, so over the years, my drinking was escalating. Um, At the ending point, I was probably drinking every night, wine and beer, and on the weekend, going out and binging with my friends. And when I quit, I would find myself up at night Googling how to quit drinking. And then I think my computer started sending me targeted ads. (laughs) So I started getting targeted ads for one year, no beer. Do you know one year, no beer? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I started getting targeted ads. And what I loved about one year, no beer is that always when I was Googling how to quit drinking, it felt like a sacrifice or a thing that I had to do because I had a problem. And the way that all of the one year Navir stories were told and were showing up on my feed were all, you know, I gave up drinking. I was a normal person. I gave up drinking and this is how my life got a thousand times better And I remember seeing this and thinking, you know, I really, really have to do that too. And so it was maybe anywhere from like six months of me looking at these ads. And that is, I think, one of the biggest things I have to remember about when working with people. I have to realize that it takes people a long time to be exposed to ideas and for them to warm up to them before they're ready to make 
that leap sometimes to, to make that change. Right. So for me, it was a long, long period of thinking about it before I actually flipped the switch and, you know, made the follow through. And so people have always asked me, you know, how did you do it? That you just decided it was day one. You only ever had day one, one day one, you just kept going. And it's like, well, it was a really long period where I thought about day one and I just wasn't courageous enough to say, this is my day one, right? Because yeah. I'm a super big, if I say I'm going to do something, then I'm going to do it. So I had to make sure I was ready to say it before I actually did it. That makes sense. Absolutely. And I've seen studies where most people who have quit drinking took between like four to 10 years of sort of thinking wow. about their drinking and worrying about their drinking and considering it before they stopped. And I think wow. for most of us, we spend a bunch of time trying to moderate, right? I know I did. Yeah. Like just sort of, I just need to get it together. I'm just going to make some more rules. I'm only going to drink a couple times a week or a couple drinks a night. And I feel like you have to go through that to figure out that it doesn't really work for you or that it's yeah. exhausting and then try a, a longer period of sobriety. But I love what you were saying about one year, no beer, because what I found is, yeah, it's not so much about, oh my God, I can't drink because I have a problem. It's yeah. about, I am curious and excited to see what I would be like and what my life would be like and what could happen in my life if I kind of got rid of this thing that's weighing me down and keeping me stuck. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I cannot believe it takes the average person four to 10 years. I wonder, it might have, it probably even took me longer than I realize, you know, like I only remember when I started seeing the one year no beer targeted ads, is that being the real conscious thinking about it and shifting, but there's probably, there were probably many years beyond that, that I don't even remember in which I was thinking about quitting too. Yeah. Wow. I vividly remember when my son was six months old. I read the book Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. I don't know if mm -hmm. you've ever read that I've one. Heard of this one. Yeah. yeah, but it has this beautiful, I was a red wine girl, glass of red wine on the cover. And a love story is completely what I sort of felt like I was having with wine. And I read that when he was six months old. I had it on my Kindle and used to read it while drinking, of course, um, and then open up a bunch of other books. So it would like be pushed down in my Kindle queue. So if my husband randomly picked it up, he wouldn't see that I was reading it. I mean, that's how early on I was. And I wrote myself this whole letter, you know, saying, Oh my God, I think I have a problem with alcohol. I think I need to stop. Wow. And then four days later, I came back and amended that letter I wrote myself and said, Just kidding. I don't have a problem. I mean, that wow. was insane. And then stopped for a year when he was five, but finally stopped when he was eight. So it definitely was wow. that long period of time of contemplating and worrying and, you know, cause stopping drinking was my worst case scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you, it's become the best decision of my life. Best decision I've ever made. Biggest health change, most positive transformational change, but mm -hmm. it's kind of scary. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's so scary because people are not really living out loud their sobriety. And so you don't know 
that other people are doing it. You don't know that it's cool. You don't know. You have to dig and dive to find the sober world on Instagram or Facebook. Like no one in my social circle was sober or posting about it. I'm sure there were some people that were on a sober journey, but it wasn't their, you know, social media narrative. So it's super isolating because it's really unknown and it's not talked about in our mainstream culture. I think it is becoming more talked about more and more lately, but I'm also not hundred percent sure because I also know that we are in our little social media echo yeah. chambers, right? I was going to say that if you start following you and me and some of the people exactly. I've interviewed on this podcast, there is an explosion of really, really cool women and people out there who quit drinking and are talking about it, but they're probably not in your immediate social circle. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's amazing once you start connecting with people, they really do become friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like reaching out and finding that those people that resonate with you and inspire you and uplift you and keep you on committed on that path. Yeah. And you said, I've listened to a couple of different things. And you said that you told a story about hitting your rock bottom when you were on a trip with your mom. Can you tell us about that? Because it was kind of amazing. Yeah. So in my last year of drinking, I was traveling a lot. I mean, that was one of the amazing things about moving to the Middle East and spending my 20s in the Middle East is that I had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of travel. You know, I was teaching, I had these vacations. And so in my last year of drinking, one of my reasons that I kept putting off sobriety was because of all the special occasions coming up. Right. So I was spending Christmas backpacking around Southeast Asia. And then I had a trip planned with my colleagues to Norway. And then one of my best childhood friends in March was coming to Abu Dhabi with her dad for the special Olympics. And then in March, I was traveling with my mom to Morocco. So it was one of those really intense four months where I said, you know, there's no way I could give up drinking because it would ruin all these occasions. So when I was in Southeast Asia, it happened to be New Year's Eve and I was riding a slow boat up the Mekong River from Laos, crossing the border from Laos into Thailand which is like pretty much one of the coolest life experiences I could ever have. Mm -hmm. And I was so upset about being on this boat and not being in like the city and being able to get drunk on New Year's Eve that I said, you know, my New Year's Eve is ruined. And I seriously was looking at booking a flight to Bangkok to go and party in Bangkok. And that's how much I was addicted to alcohol. And it would have been like thousands of dollars to get this New Year's Eve flight. And I don't think I realized I, in the end, I was able to fill up my bag with beer. And I think I drank all of my beer before like noon on New Year's Eve. And I don't think I realized how much alcohol was sort of controlling my happiness and controlling my decisions at that point. And fast forward a few months later, you know, there was the Norway trip where we're partying all the time. My friend was visiting for this special occasion. We're partying all the time. And then it's April and my mom and I are going to Morocco. It's the same thing. It's like every decision is shaped by whether I can have a drink there. You know, I don't want to go to a restaurant because they don't have booze. I don't want to be in this town because they don't have booze. And one occasion was that it was my birthday and it was Again, we were going up to this homestay and we were on the high Atlas mountains and there was going to be no alcohol there. And I 
had a bottle of wine, put it in my backpack, hiked up the mountain with this wine in my backpack, said to my mom, don't share this with anyone because it's my birthday and there won't be enough. Right. And so we split this bottle of red wine between the two of us. And after having half the bottle of wine, I wasn't drunk. I was pissed off that we didn't have any more wine. I was pissed off. I couldn't get more drunk, even though it was my birthday. And my mom had arranged this cake to come up to the homestay and this donkey had carried this cake up his back on like up the mountain. And I remember wishing, like, I wish that, you know, he brought wine and not cake. And it was that night when I lay in bed and I was like, this is, I can't do this anymore. Like there's gotta be more to life than this. And I don't think I was cognizant of how much my happiness was being controlled by the presence or absence of alcohol until shortly after when I quit. So again, I was like, I can't quit today because I'm still in Morocco. I still have this vacation. So I'm going to quit the day that I fly from Morocco back to Abu Dhabi. And so that was my day one. And so it was April 13th when I quit. It was April 7th. That was my birthday. So it was about a week later. And yeah, I was flying back to Abu Dhabi. I was like, okay, this is day one. And um, it was like the best decision I've ever made in my life, probably. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. I was laughing and smiling when you were talking about that and, you know, drinking half a bottle of wine and being pissed because mm-hmm. it's not enough. Because I used to go on this kayak camping trip with a group of women every single year. And one of our first years there, we brought bottles of wine. And so stupid and dangerous. We're climbing all, you know, we kayak there. We're climbing all over these rocks we dropped the bottle of wine and, and we're more upset about the fact that the bottle was gone and that we weren't going to have enough wine to like drink as much as we wanted to. We considered getting in our kayaks to kayak to, you know, an hour and a half to some place where we could get wow. wine. We did not do it, but we were just like, fuck, this sucks. <laughs> and then the next year we brought boxes of wine, right? Like just the bladders. We were like, this is way better. We go kayaking for two nights and we would bring so much alcohol. It was insane. And we're supposed to be in nature and having deep conversations and, you know, mostly wouldn't remember the end of the night. I mean, 
So I hear you on just, you know, the question of do I have enough? And am I going to be stuck somewhere without alcohol? And that's going to suck. Even when you're in the most incredible places with your favorite people, it, it just demonstrates how skewed your perception of what's important is. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you guys must have been so hungover the next day. Like, what was kayaking like hungover? Oh my God. Well, I remember some of my friends saying, like, who's going to stay up with Casey and Holly so they don't fall in the fire? Um, Because we were like, just, I see two moons up there. And, you know, I absolutely adore these women. We all sort of had kids around the same time and they are awesome. But uh, lo and behold, in a group of 12 women, four of us have quit drinking, you know, a decade later. So, you know, and, you know, the women are marketing executives and doctors and lawyers and, you know, but drinking, drinking is a thing. And when you like to drink, it really does take over so much of your mind space and energy and heart space. And, you know, you eventually get tired of the hangovers. Wow. I can't believe four out of 12. I'm still, I'm still like the only one in my friend group. Uh, maybe I'm like the pioneer. Maybe Give it a couple years. <laughs> we all age. Yeah. <laughs> what birthday was it when you quit? I was 27. So oh I was my gosh, really yeah. young. So mm-hmm. I quit at 40 and, wow. um, you know, some of my friends have quit more recently. So yeah, give it another decade. You'll probably have quite a few <laughs> So 27 is really young to, mm-hmm. to have that realization and to change the trajectory of your life and decide it's not working for you. So you quit. Did you end up joining One Year No Beer? How did you find community? I did. Exactly. So I joined One Year No Beer and um, that was a lifesaver at that point because I had no, I didn't know anyone that was sober. My uncle has been on a sober journey for a long time. Ever since I could remember, he had tried to quit, um, started drinking again. I think he did it maybe three times in my young adulthood. And he finally quit maybe probably five years ago at this point. So I had my uncle kind of as like a bit of a role model, but he's not a very, like the type of person that you could like turn to, to talk about this kind of stuff, kind of like, you know, a stoic, really great role model, but, um, definitely I don't think would have been the best support for me at that point. And so I did have him as inspiration and motivation and, you know, connecting and sharing his sober days, which was super cool. And I think, I think for the first seven days, I actually didn't even buy into one year, no beer, just because I didn't want anyone to see, like, I couldn't even like the page one year, no beer. Didn't want to like any of their posts. Didn't want to join their group. Cause I didn't want anyone to think that I had an issue with alcohol. And it was maybe around seven days that I thought, okay, I need to join one year, no beer. And I really didn't want to join the Facebook group again. So I joined the Slack group. They have this little Slack thing, which was fine. Hard to navigate. Cool to see some inspirational people. And once I was in it, I was like, you know what? I need to get on that group. I need to just get over my fear, which in hindsight, it just seems like the most ridiculous thing because no one else is on Facebook looking at what groups other people are joining, you know, and fear is real. And you know, the fear, I also like, I joined a secret private Facebook group called the BFB. I've talked about it. It's the booze free brigade. And that one is really secret. Like it's fucking hard to find. Like you have to find someone. I have a guide on my site, but someone named Elizabeth cloud, which is a 
you know, pseudonym or whatever, you have to friend her, then she has to message you to say, do you want to be in? Yes, you want to be in. And then you just join in. All it says is that you've got a mutual friend with people, Elizabeth Cloud, and then you're in the BFB. So it's super hard to find and obscure. It's my absolute favorite place. But even when people get there, they're afraid to post because they're like, what if someone else has found this truly, truly obscure group? And Clearly, if they're there, they also are ready to break up with booze. But, you know, I think we all are like, what if anyone knew that I was Mm -hmm. trying to stop drinking this drug that is super unhealthy for me? I mean, it's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I still have it too, even with not with me, but within my community, I have people that are, you know, someone in my sober group who is like three years sober and you know, this amazing person. And she is, you know, afraid to tell people that she's alcohol free. And it's like, you know, being alcohol free has, you know, transformed your life. You've accomplished way more than you ever would have had you were sober. And it's something to really be proud of yet. There's still this very real fear and stigma. And I totally get it. I totally get it. But it's one of those things where it's a shame that there's such a stigma because that is what keeps people from people staying in the dark and staying with their drinking issues is when they don't see other people living out loud sober. But I get why people don't because the fear is so real of being judged. And well, and I feel like the more people that talk about it, the easier it's become like your podcast, like your um, sober yoga girl, Instagram, you know, my podcast, it's really opening the conversation about the fact that, hey, I'm a normal person with a great life. And I used to drink a lot. And I decided it was making me feel like garbage. So I quit. And without the stigma without, you know, and actually being happier. And you know, what's funny is today, I got an email from someone. So I actually when I first started doing this, I was like, terrified to even put sobriety coach on my website, right? Like in the beginning, I was like, I'm a life coach. I didn't even want to say I was a sober coach. Um, Everybody knew I'd quit drinking, but that to me was like out there. And then I have this podcast and I've gone on other podcasts and I happened to put something. I went to a, a sort of big boarding school in Connecticut and put something in their in their annual thing saying like updates from your class. And I was like, oh, I quit my job at L'Oreal. I'm a life and sobriety coach. And I started this podcast. And I've had two people that just went out like a week ago, email me and be like, I don't know if you remember me, but it's super inspiring. I listened to this podcast wow. on and that's amazing. And then someone else who had written me before and is now a year sober was like, we had emailed and she was like, oh my God, I went to Choate too. I was two years behind you. So once you kind of open the floodgate, it's amazing how many other people are out there who are either thinking about doing it or have done it or would like to, but are kind of in that middle place too. Yeah, absolutely. And it happens more and more. Like, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just heard the other day from someone I went to university with who has been following me since, you know, since I started talking about sobriety, which would have been two and a half years ago at this point, and just messaged me to say, Hey, this is what's like, this has really touched me. And you know, this is why. And it's like, wow. Like, so there's, you don't even know sometimes who you're 
resonating with or inspiring who's watching on the sideline for even years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is really awesome when you do take it out of the shadows and say, Hey, I quit drinking without a stigma, without a label, without anything else, just, you know, Hey, I broke up with boots and I'm happier and I'm healthier now. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked when we first touched base about your first 10 days and how it was really hard. You talked about sort of withdrawal and panic attacks and mental health. Tell us about that because it doesn't last that long, but that difficult period is what keeps so many women Mm -hmm. trying to stop and then going back to it and trying to stop and sort of doing the worst part over and over again. I completely agree with that. Yeah. The the hardest part is for everyone, it's a different period of time. For some people, it's shorter. For, For some people, it's longer. For some people, it's less intense. For me, I have had a mood disorder since I was a teenager. And when I quit drinking, everything just got worse. And I remember on the first, at the end of the first week of sobriety, I had maybe been sober for four days, had a panic attack at work about the most random thing. At the point when I was drinking, I failed to have the sense of spirituality that I have now around life, which is this, I have this sense that everything will always work out exactly as it's meant to. I didn't have that at this point in time. And so I'll tell you about the thing that I had a panic attack about because it ended up actually completely working out. So the school had us in housing and staff housing and the housing was absolutely beautiful But I knew that I could save a lot more money if I moved out of this accommodation and got, you know, a smaller, cheaper little place in the neighborhood around where the school was. And so I had signed this application to try and move out of the staff housing. And I found out on like my fourth day sober that I had not been approved and I had to stay in this staff accommodation. And I was so in debt from all my partying and all my drinking. And this felt like the end of the world that I could not move out of this apartment. And this is what triggered this panic attack. And I was sobbing. I was like hyperventilating. Um, my, one of my bosses intervened who was like, absolutely amazing kind of grabbed me and like stayed with me and calmed me down. And I don't think I might've told her that I was really stressed out about the accommodation thing. I definitely did not tell her that I was a few days sober. Um, anyway, I look back on that whole thing and I'm like, okay, everything always works out because what happened that year the lockdown and the pandemic where we were forced to stay in our apartments forever. And I was stuck in this beautiful apartment. And I remember being like, wow, that was really lucky, right? That, that I didn't, that that application didn't go through and I didn't move out of this place because I had planned to just kind of move into like a crappy little place where I would not be that lovely of a place to stay 24 seven for down. Right. And so when you look back on life, you're like, everything always works out. And that's my new attitude is like the universe is always putting this Mm -hmm. obstacle in your way for a reason. But anyway, that was what my day four panic attack was about. And the very fortunate thing about that is that we actually had someone on campus at that point who was, I think she was doing her master's in counseling. She was doing a practicum and she needed some practice counseling. And my boss, because she had intervened with all this was like, why don't you go speak to this person? And I was able to then get free counseling for my first hundred days sober with this person, which was like the biggest blessing. And she actually ended up being someone who was also sober. She, I think she had around 
maybe a 12 year old son. And she told me that she was, she became sober when he was around one. So she had been sober for like 11 years and it was just luck. And so definitely one of the things I tell people about sobriety is like, so I was part of one year in a beer, which was this amazing virtual community, but it did not give me anyone to talk to. And so whether you end up with a counselor, with a coach, whoever can support you through it. But I really feel that that one-on-one support was necessary for me to get through those 100 days. And so anyway, yeah, so I had this panic attack. Good things came out of it, even if they didn't seem great at the time. So, you know, I think I had that weekend of feeling really, really low. And whenever I was low, I would just get on the one year number Facebook group, look at all the messages, read the stories, help like motivate myself. And then it wasn't until the following weekend. So my second weekend sober, when I just kind of woke up and all of a sudden things had balanced out. And then I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Life being not hungover is beautiful. Um, But it took me quite a while to get to that point. Well, and I always tell women like your first two weeks, you're going to be irritated. You're going to be super sensitive. You feel like you're walking around without your outer layer of skin because you don't have this bubble of either being hungover, which really dulls you or being drunk. Right. So you, you know, all the, it feels like everything is too sharp and too fast and sort of it's so, I mean, I felt rage. I felt anger. I felt sadness, like all the emotions in the first two weeks. And you're also very, you know, it is real that you are going through physical withdrawal that's affecting your body and your mind and your emotions. So it is not unusual to have those first two weeks be really, really hard. And then kind of for the clouds to part and you to be like, oh my God, I'm sleeping well for the first time in years. And I'm not hungover and I'm suddenly feeling better and happy. And that's what people call the pink cloud. And it takes longer for everyone to get there or different amounts of time, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that you had support for your first hundred days too, because that's what I do as a sober coach. I know you do that as well, but I also, I was a member of an online group similar to you. And then I also had a coach who I emailed every day and had phone calls with someone who got it, someone who kind of held my hand through the beginning part and all the emotions and all your fears and limiting beliefs about quitting drinking. And I agree that one-on-one support can be huge. Mm -hmm. Totally. I, and I was just, I was super lucky that she, I ended up coming across her and also that she, because I know a lot of counselors and therapists um, don't share. There's like this thing where they don't really share what's going on with them. And so I would have had no idea had she not chosen to share with me, you know, I went through this too. And I, I think had she not, and I don't think she, I think she might have not told me that the first time I talked to her. I think it might have been, maybe it was something she reflected on after and thought, you know, I'm going to share this with her. And then she told me maybe the second or third session that she was also sober. And that made a massive difference was just knowing that she got it. And I think that's one of the things about counseling that um, I, I do think it's changing, but definitely traditionally there was like a barrier between the counselor and the patient and they wouldn't share what was going on with them. And so uh, my counselor was amazing, but that's one of the things that I love about coaching is, you know, my clients 
have my support and it's not about me, but they have, you know, my 70 podcast episodes where they get to hear my story and our stories. Um, I think it's Brene Brown who says, you know, a page in your story might become someone else's survival guide. Right. And our stories can have huge impact. And so that is one of the real values I think of choosing a coach is that you can really connect to their journey that can help you along yours. When it also is judgment free, right? I mean, when you share your story, you sort of normalize and make it okay for other people to share their vulnerabilities or absolutely. And and so when I went to therapy, same thing, I have a therapist that I absolutely adore, but for years I went to therapy and they were, they were kind of quiet. They would ask me questions. They would never share anything about them. And I felt really self-conscious. I like they were judging me or that I didn't want to, you know, did I say the right thing or should I be sharing more? You know, we tend to get kind of in our own heads. So when someone's yeah. like, oh yeah, I did that too. That's totally fine. You know, you're kind of like, ah, okay, good. You know what? That's really interesting that you bring that up because I have never made that connection until right now that I really struggled with, I, you know, I was in and out of counselor's offices in university. And I think I was afraid sometimes to tell them the whole truth because I was afraid that they would think that, you know, they were judging me or think something was wrong with me, or like, I was afraid of their judgments. And I don't feel that around coaches. I don't feel that around my community now. And I wonder if that element of the therapeutic approach just was not working for me, you know, like, cause I need someone to, obviously you don't want a, a, a therapy session to ever become about the therapist, but you want to hear comforted by like, yeah, I had mental health struggles too, you know, yeah. so that you feel like you're not alone. Because I think I always felt like I was going into this room of someone who had their shit together and I yeah. didn't, you know, and you also That's- like there, there's so many code words. I mean, I went into therapists for years and didn't tell them how much I was drinking or expressed all the emotional turmoil that I was feeling, but didn't relate it to drinking. A lot of therapists drink too. So they've got their own mm-hmm. bias and they've been raised in the society that we have been as well. We're like, right. either you're quote unquote, an alcoholic or you're not right. So right. sometimes I know from talking to people, people will be like, well, therapists will be like, I don't think you're an alcoholic or they'll be like, I think that you are. And both of those are kind of really unhelpful if you're going in there and in the early stages of worrying about your alcohol consumption so, I mean, I think that one of the things that that's helpful is having people normalize it, right? Normalize sobriety, normalize the fact that right. drinking is addictive and that you should experiment and try to see how you feel without it because there's some real harm that comes from this substance that everybody consumes and that you don't have to decide you're an alcoholic to decide that drinking isn't working for you. So. Yeah. That's part of it. I mean, I remember when you said you had a mood disorder, um, I also have a mood disorder and didn't figure it out until I stopped drinking. So I quit drinking four months in, had this huge panic attack. I want to jump out of my skin. I'm laying in my bed, like tingling, just trying to make it through the hour. And 
I was really pissed because my mental health and anxiety was a reason that I finally decided to quit drinking. And so I was like, I thought I was fixed. Like I gave up this huge, huge thing that I loved and I'm still dealing with this shit. But like you said, it was a gift. I finally got to go to a therapist and I finally got on medication and I finally was able to separate what was happening with my body and my mind versus the effects of drinking and hangovers. And I never would have gotten that clarity or that help if I hadn't not had this mitigating factor of this drug in my system. Yeah. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, It's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Yeah, because it really, it really impacts everything. And you're not the first person I've spoken to who I was speaking to another guest on the podcast who was saying the same thing. They, it was when they got sober that they discovered that they had a mental health, a mood disorder, and it's, it, it impacts you so much and, um, the consumption of booze. And I think we don't realize how much it can shift, you know, your brain chemistry and what's going on until, until it's gone. Well, not only that, you also blame yourself for all the Mm -hmm. symptoms that may or may not be caused, you know, because you have an actual issue that is treatable. Um, You know, you wake up feeling like you can't cope with life. You're strung really thin. You're berating yourself. You blame yourself because you're like, fuck, I shouldn't have drank that bottle of wine last night again. When if you remove that factor, you're like, okay, actually, I'm really not feeling well. And I know it's nothing that I've done. So I can go talk to a doctor or therapist and actually get help for this. Right. 
Well, so tell me, how do you help people in your community break up with booze? Like, I know you're you're into yoga and a yoga teacher, which is amazing. You also have other tools that you use, like journaling and other things. So tell us sort of your process, your formula, what you think works really well. Yeah. So I think, so being part of One Year and a Beer was amazing for me in that it gave me some resources. It gave me inspiration. It gave me community and their main tools were habit changing around, you know, run a marathon, train for this marathon, get this physical goal, transform your life, which is fantastic. And it totally resonates with a lot of people. For me, I, when I got sober, I kind of made my own formula of getting really into my spirituality, really into my yoga practice, really into my meditation And I found that the few things missing from one year no beer were that the spirituality, and then also the, um, the one-on-one interaction or the real live interaction. So one year no beer is just a Facebook group. I did make some amazing friends out of it, but most of them have now come into my mindful life practice community. And we run sober curious yoga where these are yoga practices that have a time built in for a 15 to 20 minute check on check-in. This is an opportunity for people to pick up a talking stick and share how they're doing in a non-judgmental supportive way. And we actually have people from all over the world, but it's also super small and intimate. So we cap the groups at 10 participants, which I have heard from a lot of people is really unique and really special for a sober community. Cause a lot of people have said that they will get on calls with like a hundred people on the zoom and they won't share anything. And at the end, they just don't feel connected. And so the size of the groups anywhere between, you know, two, three to 10 people means that people, everyone gets a chance to talk. Everyone gets a chance to be heard and everyone feels safe. And that is a key part of what we offer. So the live yoga practice. And then we also do journaling. Um, we have journal prompts. I've created workbooks for the first eight weeks sober. And um, so there's one workbook a week. And it's kind of it basically is like a yoga challenge. So I'm going to quit drinking for 30 days, do yoga for 30 days, be part of this community, do my journaling. And sometimes I work one-on-one with people as well, just depending on what the situation is like, if they're looking for a bit more support. And I have found that this works really well. That being said, I think that there are so many amazing sober communities, so many different programs out there. What works for one person might not work for another. So I just encourage everyone to try lots of different things until they find the perfect thing for them. Yeah. I mean, I think the point is to be inspired by who could you be and what do you want your life to be like Yeah. once you remove alcohol, once you're kind of not thinking about it all the time or physically struggling with it or kind of centering your whole life around drinking occasions. And for some people, it's yoga, which is amazing. For some people, like I ran a 10K, that was sort of my first like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm stopping drinking and I have this goal. Um, and for other people, it's, you know, I have a client who hikes all the time, like just incredible hiking, which is amazing. And it doesn't have to be physical. I have clients who've taken up painting and, and are painting every day and all the different things. But I think that 
you know, you remove alcohol from your life and there's a period of just not feeling that well and tapping in to knowing that you're not the only one tapping into groups is so helpful. And then also like, okay, I've removed this thing. What am I going to add into my life? You know, what am I going to bring into it? So I think that's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I'm actually going on a yoga retreat in two weeks. I'm so excited in Mexico and it's through She Recovers. They're another group that I'm a She Recovers coach, but it's in this villa in Mexico, right on the beach with like 20 women. And we have morning and evening yoga on this roof and pools and um, sharing circles at night. And I signed up two years ago and it got moved multiple times, of course, during COVID, but now it's two weeks away. And I literally am so excited. I don't know what to do with myself. Amazing. I actually remember you mentioning that the last time we talked. That's incredible. You're going to have such a great time. And I'm not a yoga girl, but I'm going to get only because yeah, life. I don't know. (laughs) But so I'm going to get into it this, this next week. I'm excited about it. Amazing. That's amazing. So I know you're doing something new in January, right? A new start of the Sober Curious Challenge or tell us about that. Yeah. So I have found that January is a huge time for people looking to explore Sober Curious life. I think last year we had like 30 new members join Sober Curious Yoga last January. So we're expecting that again. Um, So at the start of January, we're going to be starting a new Sober Curious 30-day challenge. And if anyone is interested in joining, we can provide uh, links for that. And at the start of January, we're actually going to beginning be beginning as well um, some new. I also do yoga teacher trainings, and I am going to be launching my advanced yoga teacher training, which is going to be focusing around yoga, addiction, and mental health. So I'm super excited about that. So I have those new programs coming up, and I also hope. One of my reasons for moving to Bali is that I'm hoping to start live events here. So live retreats, live yoga teacher trainings. And so that will be coming up in 2022 as well. So super excited about that because the Zoom world has been amazing. But I think the next level is the real life world for the sober community. Well, and Bali's like the perfect place. So let me live vicariously through you for a moment. I've never been to Bali. Will you tell me why it's so amazing and why you love it there? You know what it is for me? It is this sense of, it's like this spiritual center for me. And I just always feel very in touch with myself, with nature, with, I I don't know how to describe it. Like everyone here just seems to be living the same life, which is just like, so go with the flow, so relaxed. Even if they're not yoga people, they're still really grounded and kind there's a lot of sober people. Um, so I'm specifically in the town of Ubud, which is like a jungle town, but there's also, you know, beach towns. But the reason why I love the jungle town is this is where like the yoga people congregate. And so there's a lot of like-minded people, even in the COVID time. So there is a, uh, there's still barriers to get in for tourists. And so it's mostly just expats here right now. Um, and locals. And even in this time, I still feel I feel really connected to myself and to others. And so this, you know, I've been, I've, when living abroad, I was very fortunate to see a lot of countries. I traveled to 35 countries and 
when I became sober, I got less interested in, you know, before when I was drinking, I wanted to travel all to these places and have cool Instagrams of me, you know, in Paris and Spain, whatever. Now I'm like, I don't really care. I don't really feel like I need to see anything else in the world other than Bali. (laughs) (laughs) And I just feel so content with if I went nowhere else in this lifetime, I would be happy just being here forever. So that's amazing. Okay. Someday I need to get there. And if you're leading the retreat, I have to come on it. You have to come. Yeah. It would be awesome. Well, Tell us how people can find you. So this podcast is coming out December 9th. So perfect timing if you're interested in the Sober Curious 30-Day Challenge or anything else, where should people go? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. It's Alex McRobbs. And the community that I run is called The Mindful Life Practice. So themindfullifepractice.com or The Mindful Life Practice on Instagram. And my podcast is called Sober Yoga Girl Podcast. And so if you found any of this on Instagram, found our website, um, I can attach, I can send you, Casey, more direct links that people can just click on to go straight to the programs. Perfect. Um, I will put them in the show notes. So anyone who's interested, just go to this episode on my website and you'll find it all there. Well, thank you so much, Alex. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was so lovely to chat. It was my first podcast episode I've done in a while, like a couple of weeks. Um, and it was definitely worth the 6 a.m. wake up for. So very cool. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. We'll speak soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.